Hi, I'm Morgan Goldwich. I'm the Avenue editor, and you are listening to the Avenue's Pop Culture News Roundup. Hey, my name is Heather Bushman. I'm an Avenue staff writer. I mostly write with the music beat, and the artist I'm listening to a lot right now is FKA Twigs. My name is Katie Delk. I'm also an Avenue staff writer. I also like to write about music, but also culture and the environment. And I've been listening to Beach House and Folk. My name is Kristen Bausch. I'm an Avenue staff writer. I write a lot about small businesses in Gainesville and I've been listening to Tronada recently. I'm Veronica Nocera. I'm an Avenue News Assistant. So I'm kind of dabbling and writing about everything. And I've been listening to a lot of Kate Bush lately. I'm Valeria Antonchuk. I'm also an Av News Assistant. I've been writing a little bit of everything, but I do a lot of business and entertainment news. And I've been listening to Lana Del Rey recently. Welcome to the Avenue Podcast. We will be recapping large events in pop culture, nationally, and maybe a little bit of local news too. So to start off, today is February 8th, and last night, Sunday, February 7th, biggest event in sports, arguably the Super Bowl. So we have to talk about it uh, in terms of pop culture. So first and foremost, Amanda Gorman became the first poet to perform at the Super Bowl. And we have some thoughts on that. Katie, I know you had some stuff to say, so take it away. Yeah, so starting with the presidential inauguration, she was the youngest poet there, 22 years old, right around our age. And she's a beautiful speaker. I loved watching her hand motions, the voice inflections, a lot of rhymes in there, but I really love what she said about poetry. She said that it's contributing art to our country. So now just the fact that it's at the Super Bowl, not only is it promoting art, but it's also promoting, you know, connection and deeper meaning. So I'm really, I really felt that poem that she said, um, you know, honoring some heroes um, like the veteran James Martin, the educator Tremaine Davis, and then a nurse, Susie Dorner. She also, interesting fact, she had speech impediment till her sophomore year of college. So I think that's pretty awesome that now she's on this, you know, really big stage. And she said that because of her speech impediment, she now appreciates the musicality of sound. So pretty cool person. I will say that I enjoyed it very much. Um, I love her cadence. I have never really been into poetry. It was new for me, but um, I caught her election poem and I was obsessed with the way she kind of took her words and it sounds so stupid, but made them rhyme. So, you know, she'll emphasize this part of a phrase or put this word in the next stanza just so it all kind of worked together. And I thought it was rhythmically beautiful. So, you know, great for Amanda, amazing job. Um, so obviously with the Super Bowl, we are all journalism majors in the College of Journalism and Communications, so we are naturally obsessed with the advertisements, and I know there were a lot of thoughts in there about the iconic Super Bowl ads. So, Morgan, I know you had a little bit to say, so what have you got? Yeah, so this actually ties in a bit to Amanda Gorman's um, performance, which I agree, I thought it was really beautiful. Um, but I wonder if anybody else found it to be a little almost like disappointing going from that beautiful um, performance honoring especially health professionals and then it just cut back to this full stadium where it didn't really seem like 
those values entirely translated into the way that the game was actually put on. And the same kind of went for the commercials. Like a lot of them talked about, of course, the pandemic um, and a lot of themes of social justice. We just watched the Inspire Change commercial, which basically was all about the NFL's commitment to social change. But people on Twitter pointed out that there's a lot of um, kind of disparity between the messages that they're putting out and what's actually happening in the NFL, um, such as the treatment of Colin Kaepernick in the past few years. And it's just kind of seems to be at odds with each other. It's a little bit of a say one thing, do another. So anybody else have some some thoughts on that? Anybody agree? Anybody disagree? Which would be even more interesting. Yeah, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> kind of a boring bowl, 31 to nine. But anyway, <laughs> I uh, I caught the, the Matthew McConaughey Dorito commercial where it's like, you guys remember Flat Stanley? He looked like that, like the 2D <laughs> paper thin, waving in the wind can't drive his convertible because but um anyway I, I caught that commercial but I, I I always wonder about the effectiveness of commercials I, it was a good commercial it was cute you know he gets to 3d at the end because Doritos are not selling 3d chips but listen man I don't care how flat or how 3d Matthew McConaughey is I'm not eating a Dorito like I don't like Doritos <laughs> so you know good advertising on Doritos part but just you know not for me I mean did it work for anybody does anybody now have an inkling to go eat Doritos because Matthew McConaughey said so. I actually have. It's kind of ironic that you say that because um, I was speaking to my friend and he was like mentioning the whole like Reddit did better with their like five second <laughs> commercial than like, yeah, like you said, like I don't really think I'm interested in like eating a Dorito <laughs> or like, I don't know. I just think that's kind of shocking how they put so much time and effort into this, but I don't know. I think for me too, I wasn't really paying attention. Everyone always hypes up like, oh, the Super Bowl commercials, the Super Bowl commercials. But this year, I don't know. I just really wasn't into it as much. So I just thought that was interesting that five seconds did pretty good than, you know, everything else. Yeah, I mean, Reddit's like it right now though. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think Reddit lifts a finger and people are going to pay attention because just what's going on. I saw a single Super Bowl ad, not even on TV, on Twitter. It was a repost. I don't know if anyone else saw it. It was the Edward Scissorhands one where they had Winona Ryder narrating it and Timothy Chalamet as Edward Scissorhands' son. It was a Cadillac commercial. Yes. I, I was intrigued by it. <laughs> it was strange. Um, one of my roommates pointed out, though, that um, Timothy Chalamet does look quite a bit like Johnny Depp, which... I don't think anybody really would have noticed if he hadn't. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if that's like something that's has been commonly agreed on, but the, the outfit um, made those connections happen. Yeah, he pulled it off. I think it was the brooding. I think that's what did it for me. <laughs> the sullen look on his face. Yeah. Like, oh, perfect. There he is. Uh, so last night's performer at halftime was The weekend, and... There were some mixed reactions, but I want to know what you guys just initially thought of the performance. I saw people say it was, you know, they thought it was in the bottom five performances. And I I don't know. I didn't really feel that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that he has anxiety, so I thought that he did a good job. I liked the, 
movements, but what do you guys think? Initially, I, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought it was a little underwhelming because I think from last year we went to like, from like, um, what was it, Shakira and J-Lo. So like when I think halftime show, I'm thinking like big, but I pondered about it all day <laughs> and I kept reading stuff on Twitter and people were just like, oh, like there's a story behind it. There's a story behind it. So I looked into that and now like I ha- I hold this respect because I guess the purposes of like the mask and the bandage was because he had this whole like narrative that Hollywood kind of like forces you to be someone that you're not like truly are with the whole like plastic surgery, all that stuff. And so he wanted to like add that narrative into the performance. So now knowing that I was like, okay, like you did it. (laughs) You like did something spectacular. But I think that half and half reaction was just because so many people are used to like the big like the stage and like the lights and like the props and all that that's just an interesting point that you even bring that up because yeah of course when you think super bowl you think giant sparks flying remember i think it was like 2016 when it was bruno mars and he brought beyonce out and it, it was i mean super bowl is just iconic and large and when i think the weekend and i think the guy who started nameless faceless on music blogs underground in Canada in the early 2010s I don't think this big you know giant performer who's gonna give a show-stopping lights out Michael Jackson-esque performance so I was watching him the whole time and I'm thinking is this the same guy you know from, from Uncut Gems but is this the same guy who who was on those music blogs and just underground and he gave a great show but it just felt like it it didn't really fit and I'm just a fan of the weekend's music so obviously I'm gonna sit there and enjoy you know, especially the older cuts that can't feel my face I think he did I think he did I feel it coming I can't remember but the point is I wasn't it didn't click it didn't resonate I'm like this is the biggest stage in pop culture or one of them and then it's the weekend who's supposed to be this like Batman-esque in the shadows figure so I I enjoyed it but I was like this is you know I think it just kind of speaks to the year that or the the year of time that's just been going on odd performances things that don't fit and like making do so you know good autumn for doing it because it's cool but for me I was like that should be like a Dua Lipa or a, or a Taylor or a up here. There was a casting call a few weeks honestly before the Super Bowl came out and they were just looking for um what was it dancers diverse whatever we've yet to figure out what that means but diverse like dancers and like the bare minimum requirement was like able to do TikTok dance so it was kind of already like a interesting casting call for such a big performance um that could be because of COVID that could be because of you know the weekend's kind of narrative but um I did find out that he the weekend actually donated like seven million of his own money to this and so um those performers that were on on the field they were the ones that were just like volunteers didn't get paid for this but I think the ones that were like behind him on the stage like wearing the like white suits I think only a few of them got paid but um the Super Bowl didn't like actually pay the weekend so I thought that was kind of interesting. It is interesting I think I was also reading a bit about um that artists I mean usually they will like naturally make more money after the Super Bowl just because 
of like sale like music sales and that kind of thing i just found the um a screenshot of one of those posts of the casting calls and it says um looking for volunteers in all caps between 18 to 30 years old uh must be a diverse male five foot five to five foot eleven who can move and follow basic instruction like a tiktok dance and yeah there's only about two three four five like five or six days of rehearsal that they needed to show up for which i don't know if that's typical i know Kristen, you had some other thoughts about that not that i'm a professional dancer but like for dancing for so long in my life like there were little things that like i'd say to my roommate I'd be like oh like they're kind of a count off but like I think that could have been just because of that short time of preparation. I mean, it was still cool. I still liked it. I was a little let down that they didn't do the blinding lights TikTok dance because they said TikTok dancers. But yeah, I mean, I think the concept was cool and like most of it was synchronized and pretty nice. But I don't know. I feel like just like you guys said, like with the state of the things that have been going on, it kind of played into this theme of just weird things going on this year yeah I think we were kind of shooting a little bit too high when we expected a a normal grand stage kind of J-Lo-esque show so just the the spontaneity and the haphazardness almost of it all feels very on brand for just the like 2020 and what ends up leading into 2021 so the weekend gave a great performance at halftime but before the super bowl miley cyrus also put on a concert of her own in tampa bay with a few large guest stars so valeria did you want to talk a little bit more about that yeah i mean i'm a pretty big fan of miley cyrus so i was excited to see what she would be bringing i thought it was a little bit unclear whether she was performing at halftime but i've seen Um, her post on TikTok and on social media kind of hinting at a Super Bowl performance. So um, it ended up being a TikTok tailgate concert um, before the Super Bowl and the audience was filled with uh, healthcare workers who were vaccinated. Um, And it was really interesting to see just like a live concert again and it was a little bit, um, I guess, unusual to see in COVID-19. But Um, Yeah, she really brought the energy. I think if anybody was doubting uh, the weekend's kind of commitment to the performance or not commitment to the performance, but, um, you know, the energy performance, I think Miley always um, really goes at it full force and she brought her her new rock and roll um, energy and she performed with Billy Idol and Joe and Jet. Um, So that was very interesting. I think she's a very kind of um, versatile performer. Like she's gone through so many different, um, I don't want to say phases, but she has so much different music. And I thought it was interesting to see her rock and roll music from her new album with such iconic performers from rock and roll. She had her little Super Bowl glittery costume on. And um, I mean, I thought it it was fun generally. And um, I liked seeing her perform again. And I'm glad she got to do it for healthcare workers. I personally love Miley Cyrus's rock and roll era right now. Um, And seeing her and Joan Jett like transition from Bad Karma, which is their song together on her new album into Bad Reputation and just like seeing them play together was so cool. It was really cool. Iconic, if you will. Yeah, Bad Reputation is like my everyday anthem. I'm happy for Miley. I I feel like this is is it for her after some transitory periods, uh, finding her footing 
trying to find where she fits into like the pop landscape is it more acoustic is it more like edm like bangers era but i feel like this is like i don't doubt her ability to change and i don't think she won't change from now on i think she's going to be an artist she did an interview with apple music where she was like i'm changing every day i'm literally not the person i was five seconds ago you're right but I, yeah i don't think this is going to be her settling point where she stops because she's an artist who's just going to evolve for until the end of time but as far as a niche she can occupy for the right now something that kind of fits into like the 80s nostalgia that we're all feeling for some reason because that was a big thing this year but yeah as far as where she fits into the cultural fabric i think this is just a good little like rest point for her right now so wednesday the annual golden globe nominations were announced for their 78th awards and there were some surprises some snubs and some interesting picks and i think valeria had a little bit more to tell us about that yeah so last week the uh annual golden globe award nominations were announced um which kind of uh, officially opens up the award season for 2021 um, there were some some historic improvements with three women in the directing category. I think, especially during award show season, I always think back to the Me Too movement that started a few years ago. And um, it's, I think it's just very interesting to see the strides that women are, in entertainment are making, um, and specifically with the roles that they take on and not just being um, the one leading female character or like the one female supporting character. and. I think it's really great to see women stepping up into leadership roles, um, directing and being recognized for that. So um, in terms of other awards, we've seen a lot of nominations for The Crown and Schitt's Creek. I know those shows were very popular this year. As far as comedy goes, as far as it's a show that, you know, personally can actually make me laugh, I'm a huge Schitt's Creek fan and I'm, I'm very happy for their nominations. They went ahead and swept the uh, Emmys a couple months ago too. Yeah, I've watched a little bit of both of those shows and I thought um, The Crown was really interesting. I haven't watched all of it, but I did watch the most recent season and I thought it was interesting to see like some of the controversy that The Crown and the, the real royal family um, and just kind of our societies like maybe because I feel like so many people always idolize the royal family and um, just think of it as like such a perfect establishment or like something that everybody kind of aspires to and kind of looks up to. And I think it was really interesting for everybody to um, be so fascinated by something that like exposes more of the reality in a really, I thought it was a really creative and beautiful way. Another highlight from the Golden Globe nominations, I thought Chadwick Boseman was nominated for his role in Marini's Black Bottom, and um, I thought it was really nice to um, give him that award after he unfortunately passed away uh, last year from cancer. I'll say I miss him a lot. Um, yeah. I didn't know that um, he was nominated, but that sounds really very beautiful way to honor him. Yeah, I mean, he was a hero for a lot of kids um, to see a Black hero. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear about that. It's a step in the right direction for sure in terms of recognition. I mean, three female directors, Chloe Zhao, Emerald Fennell, and Regina King, um, two of which are uh, women of color, which is a, a fantastic step in the right direction, I think. And those three films, um, especially Promising Young Woman from Emerald Fennell, which I saw was really, really great. Um, that, that ending, man, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but 
Veronica and I, it's so funny, we were actually talking about this the other day, and we were like, that ending. So I don't know, Promising Young Woman is, is one to for sure check out, and I think it'll probably do pretty well too. Another uh, highlight of the Golden Globes, there is somebody on Twitter, um, Abby Govinden, who claimed to be the creator of Emily in Paris after Emily in Paris was announced for several, I don't know how many, but several Golden Globe nominations. And um, her tweets are just iconic. So Valeria, is there anything else to kind of say about that? Yeah, well, so uh, Abby Govinden is a comedian on Twitter with a pretty sizable following, I think. But I thought the most interesting part of this was that uh, so many media outlets just took her word for it. And you saw headlines saying, creator of Emily Paris believes they shouldn't have won the Golden Globe nomination. So the original tweet was basically, I can't believe we got the Golden Globe nominations. I, I did this as a joke. Uh, not exactly that, but along those lines, that, that kind of tone, um, just as kind of a prank. And a lot of media outlets thought she was the real creator. So I guess a little bit of a lack of fact checking there. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, Twitter moment. But yeah, the real creator is Darren Starr and he hasn't really spoke out about it. But um, Abby Govindan is continuing to kind of tweet about it. She obviously announced that she's not the real creator. And um, she, I, I saw she recently tweeted a list of shows um, with people of color in the lead to watch instead. So that was kind of um, the message that she was trying to promote. As journalism majors and journalists, we can all kind of attest, Google is your friend. Check your facts four times. And if it's not enough, check them five. You've had all your sources. And if there are any, if there are any journalists listening to our, our little podcast right now, everybody on Alligator should be, but I'll digress. Um, check your facts. So the Golden Globes are going to take place uh, February 28th with hosts Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. So keep an eye out for those. Last week, Jojo Siwa, uh, musician slash dancer slash TikToker slash rainbow sunshine explosion uh came out on instagram with a picture of her in a shirt that her cousin gave to her that said my favorite gay cousin um the internet had a lot to say about it and recently i think it was earlier or later last week she appeared on jimmy fallon and revealed that it was actually her girlfriend who inspired her to make the post and i think veronica you had a little bit more to tell us about that yeah so I'll kind of just do like, I guess, a quick rundown because there were kind of a few like social media hints leading toward her officially coming out. So on January 20th on TikTok, she collabed with Pride House, which is a group of LGBTQ TikTok creators. And then later that night, she posted a video to her TikTok account wearing a rainbow sweater and a rainbow bow, which is her staple, if you didn't know, um, lip syncing to Lady Gaga's Born This Way. And then she had said that after this came out, her publicist kind of messaged her like, do you want to confirm these rumors? And at first she was like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. And then she did say last Wednesday when she was on Jimmy Fallon that it was after she was FaceTiming her long distance girlfriend that she was able to kind of work up the courage to decide like, yeah, I want to come out officially. And that's when she posted on the 22nd to Twitter the picture of her wearing the best gay cousin shirt. So one of the things that she's kind of talked about is that she doesn't really feel a need to put a label on her sexuality, which obviously can kind of be like a big thing for a lot of young teens or just young kids that are sort of still coming to terms with their sexuality. And I mean, Jojo Siwa has faced 
a crazy amount of just like unwarranted senseless like criticism from everybody just for how she dresses for how she acts like they'll say that oh you're like infantilizing yourself but I mean especially now I feel like she's definitely continued to be just a role model for being yourself and like for authenticity in spite of it and I'm just really excited to see what else she is going to be able to do now that she's kind of one step closer towards being her authentic self and like feeling safe and doing that online. Jojo Siwa is one of my role models, <laughs> not even just for kids. I mean, just seeing her with all the glitter and the rainbows, I would always just kind of watch and, you know, wow, that girl, she's really going full force with you know, like we've talked about authenticity. And I've loved that she said, nobody is normal. And she said, she's not afraid to be different, uh, which isn't normal, <laughs> most people are. So yeah, she's definitely my role model. And I love that she uh, doesn't, doesn't wanna have a label. Um, and something I would like to mention about that is a lot of people are calling her a lesbian icon. Uh, and I think that we should call her maybe something else, like a, you know, queer icon, um, so that we don't force her into a label like lesbian. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. I'm very happy to see her, you know, owning herself once again and who she is. Um, yeah, and I love that she says, no matter who you love, it's okay. Uh, a lot of parents, I'm sure, have maybe sheltered their kids from her now, but I think that's going to be a little harder for them to do, and hopefully she'll give some inspiration to some kids out there wondering if there's something wrong with them. No, that there's not. She did actually post today um, some pictures, a GF reveal, and it's really cute, and she just looks so happy, which is so refreshing to see i'm all for it it's so cute i'm on her instagram right now it's very cute they're singing in the car together they're holding hands in onesies there's this nice little introductory paragraph about how like they were best friends first so it's nice it's just refreshing to see that kind of love just cute first love vibes on a queer kid I love seeing that. I love, I love, love getting flaunted. It's, I mean, does it make mm-hmm. me sad that I am single? Maybe, but is it worth it for the other person? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, happy Valentine's Day to me and all the singles out there. I love her the girlfriend's caption now. It's fall in love with your best friend, guys. It's the best feeling in the entire world. Friends to lovers. Friends to lovers. <laughs> Someone commented about her girlfriend being from the Florida Keys. Interview. Florida Keys? JoJo Siwa girlfriend? JoJo Siwa girlfriend. Oh my god, I love it. Podcast exclusive. JoJo Siwa's girlfriend. (laughs) That's the breaking news the Av needs. Anyway, Saturday Night Live last night's musical performer was the beautiful, iconic, incredible woman Phoebe Bridgers who I don't know if you guys could tell, I love with all my heart. So capping off her set of I Know the End was a pretty explosive move. She took her guitar and started smashing it a la The Who on 
a monitor in the front. And it was iconic for me. It was a cathartic moment for me. I got it on film, which I'm grateful that I have that memory. But some people on the internet were a little bit more hesitant to accept that. I loved hearing um, how you felt about that, Heather. And I think a lot of people are kind of coming around to that. I mean, I watched SNL too. Um, I, I watch SNL every week if I can. And, and I thought she did a great job. Um, when she did smash the guitar, there was some backlash that um, most of the word I've seen floating around most of all was extra, um, unnecessary. I've even seen privileged to break the guitar. So, I mean, I, I, I don't have like a stance on this that I'm really passionate about, but I do think that uh, people are kind of coming around now after a few days now, um, that was a couple of days ago, um, that, you know, she was a man, then people wouldn't have that kind of criticism because guitar breaking is a normal tradition in rock and roll. And I just saw a uh, Rolling Stones headline that went out earlier today, actually, that said, yes, it's okay for women to smash guitars. So, you know, Rolling Stone is publishing that. I think we're kind of coming around to understand that, like, why are we even upset about this if this is such a normal thing that uh, rock and roll stars have done, you know? Um, so I'm glad that it's becoming a little bit more mainstream published in uh, publications like Rolling Stone um, to accept women having powerful performances as well. And she even also said um, that she was made an extra monitor to break a fake one. So um, they kind of tried to minimize the actual harm there, I think, and still have that cathartic effect that obviously audiences like you, Heather, really noticed and resonated with. Yeah. Well, the interesting about this thing is, too, is if we were just talking about The weekend and how people on the internet rush to his defense to defend his art, and, you know, you bring up the words unnecessary and extra, and if there's ever a place to do that, it's the Super Bowl, and The weekend didn't necessarily deliver on, I mean, there was a full choir, and there were some fireworks, and I appreciate the, the showmanship, but in terms of show-stopping, it's, it's not Gaga, it's never going to be Gaga. It's just interesting that we, we give The weekend agency to explore that side of his art, to incorporate the rollout into his performances and to have this cohesive theme and this ongoing act I guess where he gets to wrap his face and he gets to be bloody and he gets to be crude and disgusting and people rush and it's cool it's art but the fact that we're not necessarily allowing Phoebe British to do the same thing and I know Morgan you brought the point up first so I'm, I'm sure you're probably going to want to elaborate but the way we're not letting Phoebe explore that side of her art either to be abstract or destructive or not necessarily appealing to the masses is just kind of an interesting uh, hint of a double standard. But Morgan, if you had more to say, then enlighten. I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I mean, yeah, like I saw a take on Twitter that was calling um, her performance like a tantrum and that really pissed me off. Um, I think it's just so true, like perhaps more than just a hint of a double standard um as far as entertainment goes yeah to add on to that uh the history of it i saw on that rolling stone article that pete townsend from the who actually at one point uh gave them a tutorial on how to destroy a guitar so it's like like we mentioned you know with men it's totally okay for them to throw around stuff you know be destructive but I guess you know that's still not seen as the norm for women but for us uh it's I mean 
first of all, it looked pretty hard to break this guitar. I mean, she kept going. <laughs> it looked hard to do, but I mean, we all love Phoebe Bridgers, so just more respect to her. And that scream before the smashing was also pretty awesome. I'll say I love her in Stream Punisher, because that's going to get, if, if all the stars in the world align and my wishes come true, that's going to get some Grammy love. But, uh, you know, we will see. She's up. It's, it's a tough category. She's got Fiona Apple to beat, so that might be tough. Anyway, um, 18th century love stories are getting a revival with the new Netflix series Bridgerton. And I haven't watched it personally, but I think we have a stan on our hands and Valeria has a little bit more to say about it. So take it away. Well, yes, a stan. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that label. But um, Bridgerton definitely is huge right now. Um, just to recap, if, if you don't know Bridgerton, it's kind of an 18th century Regency drama, uh, a little bit of kind of Gossip Girl-esque with uh, Lady Whistledown, who is a gossip uh, paper writer um, that really kind of keeps tabs on all of the people in society, especially the women as they enter society and um, try to find a husband. So, oh my God. Hey there, Upper North Siders of Westershire. Gossip Girl by <laughs> Carrier Pigeon. Yeah. Lady Whistledown. Lady Whistledown through Carrier Pigeon, through horse-drawn carriage. It was a very interesting for me mix of those old 18th century kind of notions that obviously existed and still kind of uh, pertain today with some more modernized characters and more modernized themes. So I think a lot of people really recognized uh, one of the characters, Eloise, who uh, is Daphne, the main character's younger sister. And this girl, she really does not care about um, entering society, so to say, going to all the balls, uh, trying to find a husband, which is everybody else's kind of main purpose. And that's what they're told they have to do. And she's she's seen kind of smoking at night and just concerned about uh, about living a life that she feels fulfilled by and um, becoming a writer and um, just seeking something more than just a man and um, kind of putting that perspective up against the context of the 18th century society. I thought that was really interesting. And I know that a lot of people recognize that as well. Um, and we even here locally have some of the same themes. So we recently wrote an article about the revolutionists uh, coming to the Hippodrome. So that's a, a comedy that's gonna be set in the French Revolution um, based on four historical women and kind of their exploration of feminism and activism, democracy, art and culture. Uh, so I'm really excited to see that. It's gonna be kind of the same theme of blending those old themes and having that old societal context to kind of elevate um, our more modernized societal notions and kind of identities that we want to kind of progress towards. Really interesting to see multiple bouts on a global and then a local level of um, kind of those themes appearing through art. Eloise sounds like Joe March from Little Woman. So one of my favorite movies and a good book too, so maybe I'll which, check that out. Which version though? Which which Little Women is your favorite? The newest one. Greta Gerwig, absolutely. Yes. I have to. Oh God, I'm cry. Saoirse Ronan <laughs> killed that. Killed that. Best my my best actress from last year's uh, Oscars. That about wraps us up. Tune in every two weeks here at the Avenue Podcast for more of a pop culture roundup from us here at the Avenue Desk of 
the independent Florida alligator. In the meantime, you can totally check us out in the Avenue section of the alligator or head to alligator.org in the Avenue section down there to read our stuff. Make sure you are following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify at the Florida Ave, and we will see you next time.